There's a couple of news stories that keep drip feeding us with more and more information. And sometimes this is annoying because it's easy to say, why couldn't this just have come all, all out at once? That would be a lot easier, right? But on the other hand, we're all very aware of the fact that the attention spans of your average American are extremely short. So shocking news like blatant corruption of our highest courts or not so shocking news like racist news guy was also racist off air could be washed from the news cycle in just a few days, especially when you live in a place where it's hard to keep track of what's happening in your own personal day-to-day -day lives while also at this point being confused as to which mass shooting people are talking about at any point in time and also maybe justifiably worried about the distinct rise in, quote, vigilante justice, which uh, in a majority of cases is simply murder or attempted murder. Uh, it appears as though we live in Gotham City. Yeah, and that's really only fun if you're Batman. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm not Batman. Me neither. So earlier this week, we spoke about the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing that was scheduled to take place regarding the Supreme Court and the hope that maybe... The Supreme Court would at least write up, I don't know, a code of conduct for itself to follow. Yeah, maybe make its own rules, uh, you know, yeah. very, very lenient. Uh, the governing officials are just like, look, guys, just do the bare minimum. Give yourself some guidelines. And, uh -huh. and if that didn't work, they were going to maybe, uh, uh, Congress was going to maybe do it for them. Yeah, which would probably be what I would choose. And I'm sure would have gone very uh, light touch. Yeah. Because our institutions, our norms... I My think, precious norms. I think the bare minimum here, which I would not have been happy with, but the bare minimum here would have been like, all right, Clarence Thomas has to at least disclose that he's getting money from billionaires. Yeah, so anyone could have anticipated the outcome of this hearing. The Democrats would bring up recent and specific potential violations, violations that clearly appear to be bribes. Just yeah. Straight up graft. And then Republicans would claim that bringing this up is actually just an attack on conservatism or that it's woke to assume that Supreme Court justices can't take free money from a dear old friend who clearly has no ulterior motives. Yeah. This is what rich people do. They give each other money sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what happened. With the most damning clip coming from the former United States Attorney General from the George W. Bush administration, who basically said, Oh, what, am I not supposed to accept lavish gifts from rich friends and therefore risk losing them as a friend? It would hurt their feelings if I said no to the money and the could gifts. You, could you imagine saying no to someone who is just being a real nice friend and giving you whatever yeah. you want? You are tearing friendships apart, Democrats, yeah. with your woke agenda, this woke mind virus. Mm -hmm. Anyway, here's a clip. What I'm asking you is that as a judge, is it fair to say that you most likely would have declined an offer of foreign travel worth hundreds of thousands of dollars because, quite reasonably, you would have had the concern that public disclosure of such travel could have undermined public confidence in the impartiality of your judgment. Simply because it amounted to, I mean, if somebody took me, I mean, if, if I were a district judge and somebody wanted to fly me on his private plane um, on a vacation with his family and I were friendly with that person, would I have refused? and endangered the friendship, I'm not sure that I would have. And yeah, we all know how hard it is to make and keep friends as an aging adult, but, <laughs> but it also seems as though anything that might even appear to give the slightest impression that a Supreme Court justice is being bought and sold should at the very least be disclosed. There was a study recently where it said, uh, uh, loneliness in adult males is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I love the take that, call up the boys, you can have 15 cigarettes yeah. tonight as long as you're with your friends. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it but, balances out. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, if you have friends, it's cool to smoke. Smoke them if you got them. Uh, and by um, I mean friends. Yes. Uh, it, smoking is cool as long as you're with a group. Nothing is uh, the be- nothing is good between between friends as a Marlboro <laughs> light, a smooth uh, Marlboro. Grown Please the, never smoke. We're the, joking. In this the is fields of uh, North Carolina. This is a joke. It, Artisanal. Yeah, don't. Smoke it was a nightmare to quit. Please never do it. Uh, but yes, not just you know the flights and vacations being disclosed here, but the amount of money that was changing hands in I don't know real estate transactions and other gifts. There are disclosures that must be filled out in these scenarios, and they simply refused to do so. Again, you would think Supreme Court justices, of all people, would have an understanding of the law. But let's get back to the hearing and how it played out uh, exactly the way that we thought it would. Here's NPR. While the Supreme Court has for 32 years acknowledged that it is bound by the financial disclosure rules under federal law, the court has explicitly said it is not bound by the rest of the code of judicial conduct. And that was what the hearing was ostensibly about. It is critical to our democracy that the American people have confidence that judges cannot be bought or influenced and that they are serving the public interest, not their own personal interest, committee chairman Dick Durbin said in the opening remarks. The problem was that the Republicans viewed the subject of Supreme Court ethics as an attack on the new conservative Supreme Court supermajority, an attack by Democrats aided and abetted by the liberal media. We can talk about ethics, and that's great, but we're also going to talk about today the concentrated effort by the left to delegitimize this court and to cherry-pick examples to make a point, said ranking Republican Lindsey Graham, and I would have said it with the voice if I, if I knew that's who I was quoting. That's you want to do it over again? Yeah. Okay, let's do it over again. Uh, we can talk about ethics, and that's great, but we're also going to talk today about the concentrated effort by the left to delegitimize this court and to cherry pick examples to make a point, said ranking Republican Lindsey Graham. There you go, we did it again. And I, I think we're all better for it. I'm getting the vapors over here. Oh my, these Democrats. we can talk about, yes, the clear ethical violations, but we should also point out that they are using these violations to make us look bad. It ain't right. It ain't. Uh, going back to what we were saying about the drip feed of information regarding potential ethics violations though, after the hearing took place, even more suspicious financial dealings between Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow Harlan <laughs> came to light. Uh, it appears as though Crow paid the exorbitant tuition of Justice Thomas's nep- nephew, who he raises <laughs> as a son, okay. so that he could attend a prestigious boarding school. Uh, so, yeah, Clarence Thomas does have pretty big uncle energy, now that <laughs> yeah. you mention it. I mean, look. You can't hate on the guy for raising his nephew as a son. He sure. he, he he became his legal guardian. Okay. So, look, uh, apparently Clarence Th- Thomas did raise this nephew as a son, which is fine and respectable. He gained legal custody of the child when he was six years old. But when the boy was a teenager, Thomas decided to send him to the Hidden Lake Academy, a private school that costs six thousand dollars a month to attend oh geez how are we gonna pay for this oh well Boy, you got a problem with some finance trouble paying for your your nephew's son's tuition at the illuminati school that you're sending him to in the woods <laughs> well that's no problem for Highland quo it has hidden right in the name mm. well that's just a line item on a billionaire spreadsheet speaking of hidden you keep this between me and you mr clarence thomas of the supreme court 
Yes. You keep it nice and hush hush. Wouldn't want anyone to find out about our little gifts and trips, or else those trips and gifts might come to an end. Anyway, I'm gonna go back in my house and look at some Nazi shit. <laughs> gonna spend some time in my room that is filled entirely with Nazi memorabilia. I do imagine this guy smells like gravy. I I have no idea what he looks like. I don't want to know. Sounds like or smells like. I saw a picture last time we covered him. And uh, we're kind of on with, uh, he's from Texas. He doesn't sound like he's from Kentucky, but you know, you get the picture. South is South. (laughs) So uh, there's just one Southern accent and that's, yeah, I'm doing it. Sure. Now, obviously, (laughs) uh, you know, $6,000 a month for tuition for a boarding school. Wow, that's pocket change for Harlan (laughs) Crow. Pocket change for Harlan Crow. A little high for a Supreme Court justice to be able to afford. So his very good friend and GOP mega donor, Harlan Quo, as Elliot refers to him, covered the bill out of the kindness of his own heart and for no other reason. Yeah, just he's a, he's a good friend. Yeah, here's ProPublica. Tuition at the boarding school ran more than $6,000 a month, but Thomas did not cover the bill. A bank statement for the school from July 2009, buried in unrelated court filings, shows the source of Martin's tuition payment for that month. The company of billionaire real estate magnate Harlan Crow. The payments extended beyond that month, according to Christopher Grimwood, a former administrator at the school. Crow paid Martin's tuition the entire time he was a student there, which was about a year, Grimwood told ProPublica. Before and after his time at Hidden Lake, Martin attended a second boarding school, Randolph-Macon Academy in Virginia. Harlan said he was paying for the tuition at Randolph-Macon Academy as well, Grimwood said, recalling a conversation he had with Crow during a visit to the billionaire's Adirondacks estate. ProPublica interviewed Martin, his former classmates, and former staff at both schools. The exact total Crow paid for Martin's education over the years remains unclear. If he paid for all four years at the two schools, the price tag could have exceeded $150,000, according to public records of tuition rates at the school. Thomas did not report the tuition payments from Crow on his annual financial disclosures. Several years earlier, Thomas disclosed a gift of $5,000 for Martin's education from another friend. It's not clear why he reported that payment, but not Crow's. He's got friends all over town. He's a, a gregarious Supreme Court justice. Uh, the, the, one of the things that was pointed out in this reporting that was, I don't want to say funny, but odd, it is kind of funny, is that one of the things he did report as receiving his gift was a brand new set of tires. Well, they, he's, I mean, everyone needs tires. You it's know? just, yeah, but it's insane that, like, even his tires are paid for oh, by someone Clarence, else. Oh, Clarence, these tires are nearly bald. You're going <laughs> to hit a, you're going to hit a slick of oil on that highway, and you're going to go spinning off the cliff. Let old Highland take care of them tires. I'm going to get you some good ones. Yeah. I don't know if the tires came from Harlan Crow, but he got free tires uh, from someone. Yeah, one of the things I like to do is give my, my dearest friends new tires. Yeah. Because no one likes going and getting tires. So, you know, just a little thing I do on yeah. top of paying for people's educations and uh, and other such things. I, it is very specific that he would go, hmm, I don't know, uh, $6,000 a month for tuition for this academy. Uh, I'm not going to write that down. But, uh, you know, to throw everyone off the trail a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I did get some tires. Yeah. It is, Big deal. It, I mean, Yeah. It is, he threw that in there like, okay, obviously, obviously this guy's taking account of everything. He put a fucking set of tires on his disclosures. Nothing to see here. <laughs> well, I need the tires to get to work. It's a business expense. Right, yeah. Uh, now, we hate to keep reiterating this, but yes, if this wasn't suspicious and was completely above board, 
Why wasn't it disclosed? Well, he disclosed the tires. I mean... Yeah, you got me there. <laughs> what I just want us all to, to, you know, acknowledge that Clarence Thomas, he he fully acknowledged those tires on his, his forums. And okay? they were damn good tires. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example of actually disclosing things, uh, but also claims that were raised by the Daily Wire were income received from the publisher Penguin Random House, which published books written by Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Neil Gorsuch. Uh, from the Washington Post, a conservative news site questioned Justice Sonia Sotomayor's decision not to recuse herself from two Supreme Court cases involving Penguin Random House, which publishes her books and has paid the justice about $3.6 million since 2009, income she listed on her disclosure forms. She is not the only one with a potential conflict regarding Penguin Random House. Justice Neil M. Gorsuch has received $655,000 from the company, according to his financial disclosure reports. And he also did not recuse himself in a case that came before the court during his tenure. It is not clear whether justices must recuse themselves when they receive royalties from a contract with a publisher, because profits from books are specifically exempted by law from the total outside income a judge is allowed. And yeah, listen... I'm not married to any of these justices. No, I think they should all uh, be telling everyone exactly where they're getting their money from. In fact, if you want my unfiltered opinions about the Supreme Court, we don't have the time. But <laughs> I, basically, I could take it or leave it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think George Washington and Ben Franklin were gods, and I think they had a lot of great ideas, and I think some of those ideas have aged better than others. <laughs> I, it, the fact that people look at the Supreme Court like the way British people look at royalty is fucking weird. Yeah, it's uh, clearly it's an institution that has an important role. Is it fulfilling that role properly? Mm, hard to say. And uh, it, as things evolve and uh, information comes out, it is appearing as though it might be fucking corrupt. Yeah. Or at least corruptible. Right. Uh, yeah. Which would not bode not well enough for... checks, <laughs> not enough balances. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, it would be a good idea for an, at the very least a new code of ethics that indicates they should have recused themselves from those cases if there was potential for impartiality. Yeah, even sure. just because they uh, you know vote as Democrats oh, doesn't no. mean they shouldn't. Oh no, not Sonia Sotomayor, yeah. Sotomayor, my favorite Supreme Court justice that I know literally nothing about. If there's a conflict of <laughs> Who interest, cares? if there's a conflict of interest at all, yeah, they should recuse themselves. Yeah, regardless of their party affiliation. That, that should oh, be obvious. Oh, no. Some of our faves have been implicated. <laughs> Fuck off. But yeah, there's still a large gap between making money on a book that you wrote and then disclosing it properly and receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of trips, real estate profits, and tuition from one billionaire and not disclosing any of that to anyone for some strange reason. Just mm -hmm. forgetting, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the drip feed continued in regards to Justice Thomas because, God, it was revealed this week that his bitch wife... <laughs> Sorry, his wife, yeah. Ginny, the one that's all about the, the stolen election conspiracy, the one like the one who's all over her fingerprints are all over January 6th, that wife. Yeah, the one that texted a Trump administration. Speaking official. of conflicts of interest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Ginny received tens of thousands of dollars from a conservative nonprofit, while the person who directed the funds specifically insisted that they hide Ginny Thomas's name from the documents. Okay. Which is something you do when you're definitely when everything's above on the level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, here's the Washington Post. Conservative judicial activist Leonard Leo arranged for the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to be paid tens of thousands of dollars for consulting work just over a decade ago, specifying that her name be left off billing paperwork, according to documents reviewed by the Washington Post. In January 2012, Leo instructed the GOP pollster Kellyanne Conway no. to bill a nonprofit group he advises and use that money 
money to pay Virginia, Ginny Thomas, the documents show. The same year, the nonprofit, the Judicial Education Project, filed a brief to the Supreme Court in a landmark voting rights case. Hmm. Leo, a key figure in a network of nonprofits that has worked to support the nominations of conservative judges, told Conway that he wanted her to give Jenny Thomas another 25K, the documents show. He emphasized that the paperwork should have no mention of Jenny, of course. Hmm. Concerning. Yeah. Thankfully, people are looking into this. And there's probably going to be more where this comes from. I mean, it's been, what, two, three weeks since this uh, first came to light? Uh, yeah, maybe a little longer than that, but it's all happening very quickly. Yeah. None of it's really been surprising. Clarence Thomas has sucked for a lot longer than this. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, even what's already been exposed should be enough to convince both sides of the aisle to work together on some kind of ethical standards for the court that presides over how America is run. Yeah. Sounds like loser talk. Sounds like something you'd say if you had uh, only three out of the... The nine justices. Yeah, so. I guess. But uh, who knows? Uh, we're just uh, humble content farmers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But with all this talk of justice, mm. let's check in on some actual justice as it relates to those Proud Boys and their involvement in the January 6th insurrection. Because uh, they're in big trouble as four prominent members, which includes the leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tario, have been convicted of seditious conspiracy. Basically, they conspired against the country and attempted to thwart the peaceful transfer of power. Sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Here's CBS News. The one-time president of the far-right Proud Boys group, Enrique Tario, and three subordinates were convicted of numerous felonies, including seditious conspiracy for their roles in the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack. A federal jury in Washington, D.C. found Tario, Ethan Nordine, Zachary Rell, and Joseph Biggs guilty of conspiring to prevent the peaceful transfer of power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden and using force and prior planning to hinder the 2020 presidential election certification. The reporting continues, adding that a fifth defendant did not fall under the charge of seditious conspiracy, but that, quote, all five were found guilty of several other felonies, including obstructing an official proceeding, obstructing Congress, conspiracy to prevent an officer from discharging duties, obstruction of law enforcement during civil disorder, and aiding and abetting and destruction of government property. But the jury was hung on a total of 10 counts, and a mistrial was declared on those charges. They now likely face a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. Prosecutors had argued the defendants had conspired to unlawfully use force and the crowds gathered in Washington, D.C. to keep former President Donald Trump in office. Soon after the election, investigators alleged Tario began posting on social media and in message groups about a civil war, later threatening no Trump, no peace, no quarter. Proud Boys leaders saw themselves as a fighting force that was ready to commit violence on Trump's behalf, the government alleged. According to charging papers, Nordine, Rell, Biggs, and Pizzola gathered with over 100 Proud Boys near the Washington Monument on January 6, 2021, around the time that Trump was speaking at the White House ellipse. They allegedly marched to the Capitol grounds and communicated by radio. And the fact that these guys were charged with sedition really flies in the face of the defense that uh, they were all just on a sightseeing tour. And CNN put together a nice little clip compilation showing Fox hosts and how they've boasted about there was clearly no sedition here over the past couple of years. Yeah. And specifically, like the first clip is from Tucker Carlson in 2021 when it happened as if there could be justice that swift, like 
Imagine like the day after, like, well, you know, no one has been found guilty of yeah. sedition yet. Yeah. So obviously it didn't happen. Here, here's a, a bit of their compilation. Oh, it was an insurrection. So how many of the participants in that insurrection have been charged with insurrecting, with sedition, with treason? Zero. But you know what? No one has been charged with sedition. No one has been charged with sedition or insurrection. Most have been hit with charges like parading. Parading. Who knew that was a crime? Do you know how many people have been charged with inciting insurrection or sedition or treason or domestic terrorism no, as a result of anything? Zero. Has anybody been charged with sedition? Nobody. Has anybody been charged with treason? Nobody. So why do they keep calling it an insurrection? How many times do words like insurrection, sedition, or treason appear in Biden's own DOJ indictments against the January 6th rioters? The answer, zero. Well, geez. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the actual sentencing looks like, but there's at least some satisfaction that they faced and were found guilty of some very serious charges. Yeah. Uh, Gavin McGinnis uh, really dodged a bullet with this one. He is somewhere uh, ramming his ass with a giant uh, dildo yeah. protest. And, uh, well, he's actually probably happy that Vice is going under now. Yeah, because he famously uh, really jumped ship the absolute worst time. Yeah. While his old buddy Shane Smith got fucking filthy rich. Mm-hmm. Well... But yeah, let's get back on back on that drip feed of information that seems to be done intentionally as a way to keep a certain someone in the news. In this case, it definitely reads as a warning from his former employer that they are ready, willing, and able to drop a bombshell if he decides to attack them. And we are, of course, talking about Tucker Carlson, the uh, punished Tucker Carlson. <laughs> uh, and in the week and a half since he was abruptly fired from his position at Fox News, uh, new and worsening documents and statements have come to light. Uh, none of them are surprising at all, because this is literally the type of shit he was saying to the public on his highly rated nightly television show. He was saying it to everyone. But, yeah, he admitted it. But, yeah, it is proof that Fox's oppophile, I guess, is real, and that there is almost certainly something much worse that could come to light if Tucker tries to fight back, which he should absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it would be amazing uh, because we totally support you, Tucker, but also, you know, <laughs> it would be amazing to watch Fox and Tucker go at it and just air out all the dirty laundry for everyone to see. Yeah. Don't tease us with a good time. Yeah, I think Let that, them fight. Uh, yeah, every, every angry boomer that is screaming for Tucker to, to, to do something right now uh, is right. He should definitely come out against Fox News very publicly in a way that they would be forced to uh, respond. Yeah, mm -hmm. do it, Tucker. Be so, a man. <laughs> last week, we brought you the shocking unbelievable story about Tucker using the cunt word. Sorry, the C word in reference to a Fox executive and not in the fun, cheeky Australian or British way. Oh, you way. cunt. Uh, not in that way, in, in the very angry American uh, offensive way. Yeah. So this, when I said it, I was talking about it in the Australian right. way, of course. This week, new texts were revealed in which Tucker goes on a lengthy rant regarding his thirst for blood when it came to Antifa. <laughs> And uh, to be fair, throughout his stream of consciousness ramblings about how badly he wanted Trump supporters to beat Antifa to death, he came to terms with that sickness and realized that it did make him feel and sound like a total psychopath. The entire text reads like something he should have told a licensed therapist. It, it literally sounds like something he'd be laying on the couch just like saying out loud. Like the fact that this, and then I was like, wait, so was this an email? No, no. it's the longest text message anyone has ever fucking sent. It's an essay via text. To his producer, yeah, someone like, that yeah, works under him. Yeah, as to, yeah, to a fucking, like a fellow employee, like uh, this man needs a professional to talk to, but it's a good thing he doesn't because uh, 
Yeah, it's was, going in the blackmail file. Yeah, it was, uh, yes, when I read this, it read as though it came from a therapist who was, like, forced to go to trial for this or something like that. Did we see the, res like, what was the producer's response? Like, damn, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tucker's on some fucking bullshit again. Just a heart tap. <laughs> yeah, just the thumbs up. <laughs> Tucker's gotten to the wine again. Uh, so yeah, um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it reads like something he should have told, told a therapist and not someone from his team at a national news network. But uh, as you all know, it is so hard to gain and maintain friendships yeah. when, you, when you get older. So sometimes you just got to open up to your besties about how badly you want violence to prevail in a country. Sometimes you you're really so craving a cigarette, so you reach out to a friend. <laughs> I can't do this alone. It'll kill me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, also for, you know, in defense of a religion that you claim to adhere to, obviously, you know, that religion would say probably turn the other cheek. But no, this is the new Christianity. New Christianity where the Good Samaritan famously, like, beat the shit out of uh, yeah. people just uh, out of the kindness of his heart. The cheek is turned by my fist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to stop short of the actual fucking bloodlust in here because uh, it's YouTube. But this was a text message that went to his producer. There's links in the description to the full article, as always. There's a phrase in this that is burned into my mind forever. Yeah, I will. I, we do say that phrase okay. because it's not uh, inciting right. violence. But either way, the quote that has been making the rounds, it's right up front anyway. Elliot, take it. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a video of people fighting on the street in Washington. A group of Trump guys surrounded an Antifa kid and started pounding the living shit out of him. It was three against one, at least. Jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. It's not how white men fight. <sighs> Yet suddenly I found myself rooting for the mob against the man. It's not how white men fight. It's Gentlemen, gentlemen, wow. this is not how white men fight. Wow. Um, okay, what did he mean by that? Mm. You know, we know what he fucking, we know what he fucking meant. Mm. Uh, he then goes on to talk about how basically he wanted the group to finish the job. And, and, and That's then, the nice way to put it. And then realized that that was probably not a very healthy uh, way for him <laughs> to be thinking about all this. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, honestly, surprisingly like, reflective. It's like, did Fox fire him because he, like, m for a brief moment, kind of felt bad about <laughs> his involvement in this? Maybe again. Like, oh no, the racism, we knew about that. It was the fact that he like admitted that he felt bad about it. Like, that's, come on, man, be a team player. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is something. So, yeah, again, the whole thing reads like an admission that someone who is deeply troubled would make to a professional therapist who then attempts to find exercises to manage this anger and animosity before it becomes insurmountable and all-consuming and or garners you a primetime television show on yeah. the nation's number one news network. But instead, he fired it off as a text to someone on his team who basically has to respond, uh, yeah, boss, uh, sounds good. Sounds good. I, I hate those Antifa sons of bitches too, boss. Thumbs up emoji. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> Sideways crying <laughs> laugh. <laughs> oh, man. According to further reporting from this on uh, from the New York Times, though, the text alarmed the Fox board, which saw the message a day before Fox was set to defend itself against Dominion voting systems before a jury. The board grew concerned that the message could become public at trial when Mr. Carlson was on the stand, creating a sensational and damaging moment that would raise broader questions about the company. The day after the discovery, the board told Fox executives it was bringing in an outside law firm to conduct an investigation into Mr. Carlson's conduct. Um, it, 
okay, yeah, this does seem like it would be, have been damaging in this Dominion trial. Um, it's been like a week since that, and now it's public information anyway. Yeah. Still a lot of things unresolved here. There, I am uh, getting closer and closer to your idea that there is some horrific yeah. bombshell that is hidden somewhere. There, Yeah, and, and in order to keep people off of the sense of the actual reason, they're like tossing this all out. Some people are like, oh, I guess it was that then. Yeah, it could be any of these things, no. uh, which are increasingly uh, weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. Like, not, so far, literally nothing that has come out seems like a, a good enough reason to fire your golden boy. Like, I'm, it just doesn't make Yeah, especially sense. when the, the settlement is, you know, $750 million and your company, that's very small potatoes for yeah. what Fox brings in every year, especially their biggest host. Uh, but also, uh, by the way, update, uh, you know, Dan Bongino's out, of course. Tucker's out. Geraldo Rivera, not getting called back by Fox. What? Uh, has all of his appearances have been canceled. What? Geraldo? Oh, man. How are, you, how are any <laughs> boomers supposed to watch this show without that glorious mustache? Who's the other guy? Uh, Juan Williams, the, like, token, like, uh, punching bag? Oh. Is he still on there? Uh, I don't know, but you know who's hosting the Tucker gig next week? No. Kaylee McEnany. She's back, and she is in Tucker's chair in prime time. And I hope she's in the makeup chair beforehand because, yeah. Uh, uh, I will say it is, I, I do find it odd specifically that they picked her. Well, I don't find it odd at all. She's a attractive blonde woman. but uh, She's I, just their type. But when it comes to the Murdochs, she is very, like, crazy religious Christian lady. And that is something they've made very clear they do not mm. like when things get too a little too evangelical mm. on their airwaves. So it'll be interesting to see how she uh, okay. right. handles this. Either way, I'm sure the clips will be fantastic. But yes, it is still wild that anyone behind the scenes at Fox News, especially in an executive position, was somehow shocked by any of this. Do they watch the shows that they're putting out? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Wait, with it, how long has this show been on? What? <laughs> it's our number one show? Oh, that's not good. Let me we look need to stop this. Let me go uh, check out uh, this girl Kat's page on Twitter. Wait, these are all clips from shows that we put on TV? Oh, no. Jeez. And yeah, the, the, the idea that no Fox executives were aware of the type of messages that he was sending out on air for the whole world to see. It's nuts, but it also reinforces the idea that they're, again, uh, I'm coming to terms with the fact that Elliot is probably right. There might be something worse that we haven't seen or yeah, heard there of. There has to be. It's, it's uh, similar to, uh, I think the latest, we're not going to get into it, but like the latest, like Steven Crowder, mm -hmm. like being a fucking terrible boss story. Like, there was like multiple people where it's like, the Steven you see on the show is not the Steven in real life. I'm like, what are you talking about? The Steven on the show is a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. And in real life, he's a piece of shit. They he, seem like it's perfectly consistent here. I, I do love the story where <laughs> like he's like he exposed his genitals. And he also did it, he exposed his genitals to genitals to his dad. Which is like, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 been a freak on the show. He, he dresses in drag constantly. Yeah, no, it's I think not that, that that's freak behavior, but for him, a person same. who claims to to uh, be so against that type of behavior, to do it so frequently yeah. is a bit suspicious. It's just, it's insane that someone would be like, wow, Crowder seemed like such a nice guy. I'm like, everything, like that, that surveillance video of him yelling at his wife, I'm like, yeah, no, this is exactly how I would have imagined yeah. this man acts uh, when he's like arguing with his wife over like dumb bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, one aspect of Tucker's reign at Fox that isn't shocking to hear about, but is now coming to light more and more from those who worked with him, is the fact that Tucker had begun to have at least some shred of control over the GOP and how uh, that entire government party would operate. Here's Rolling Stone, who spoke with Abby Grossberg, who again is currently suing Fox News over her time at the company, and specifically while working under Tucker Carlson. Carlson terrified top Republicans with threats to destroy them if they failed to do his bidding and used his platform to push a personal agenda on the party's leadership. Abby Grossberg, who worked as a producer for Carlson's show starting in August 2022, tells Rolling Stone. Grossberg says Carlson pressured Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott to militarize the southern border, tried to threaten Representative Michael McCall over military aid to Ukraine, and pushed Kevin McCarthy, then the aspiring House Speaker, to create the Republican-led Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. The producer says Abbott, a staunch Republican who has pursued aggressive policies against undocumented immigration, didn't go far enough for the virulently natalist Carlson, who wanted the governor to deploy the entirety of Texas's National Guard to prevent border crossings. Grossberg says she called Governor Abbott's communication director and warned her that Carlson planned on ambushing the governor once he agreed to come on. Senior staff on Tucker Carlson tonight were saying, we'll demolish him. I warned his team to have Abbott's ducks in a row and be ready. And the reporting continues and sheds light on the fight to approve Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, because if you remember, uh, he kept trying and failing and trying and failing to secure enough votes from his own party. Yeah. Uh, here you go. When not wielding his time slot against Republican politicians who defied his ideology, Carlson was trying to set himself up as a kingmaker amid Kevin McCarthy's drawn-out fight to win the Speaker's gavel in the House, according to Grossberg. The former Fox producer outlined the contours of the attempt to broker the Speakership in an appearance on CNN Tuesday night and in her lawsuit, but offered new details about the incident to Rolling Stone. As Republican dissidents withheld support for the California congressman, Grossberg says Carlson hoped to broker a deal and extract political concessions from the would-be speaker live on air in prime time. Earlier that first week of January 2023, Tucker made a demand live on air for this church committee that he wanted McCarthy to establish to get that speakership, groveling for various votes on the show, Grossberg tells Rolling Stone. After that, the day of the 5th, he wanted Kevin McCarthy to be booked on the show. And they add that the squeeze play Grossberg says Carlson and his producers put together involved a plan to invite chief holdout representative Matt Gates onto the show to join McCarthy so he could make demands that would leave the future House Speaker in the hot seat on national television. They would speak about what McCarthy wanted and his bid to be Speaker, Grossberg says. From there, they would bring Matt Gates into the conversation and Matt Gates would lay out his demands and Tucker would also send his demands for McCarthy that he felt needed to be included and concessions he should make to be Speaker. And live on air, he would broker this deal between the opposition party, which were Gates and people like Lauren Boebert and Kevin McCarthy to save the Republican Party, making Carlson a hero. He received a call from Thomas Massey and Kevin McCarthy from Kevin McCarthy's office that they were making concessions that Tucker had demanded, and Tucker was excited about that for this church committee. She says, he was changing the Republican Party, and he loved having that kind of power. Gates has publicly denied ever being asked to appear on the show and said he doubts the fantastical story about an attempt to broker the speakership. But text messages obtained by Rolling Stone show Carlson's producers proposing an invitation to Gates, corroborating Grossberg's account. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he's a powerful figure. Not anymore. Too powerful. But at now, least for now. At least for now. Where is your power now? What's he going to do? He's going to do that show uh, that all the blue checks seem to believe he's going to do on Twitter.com. I mean... Where, where uh, Elon Musk, despite the feature already existing, is currently testing an even worse version of live streaming on the platform. Yeah, that's going to go great. He's like, we're relaunching Periscope. And everyone's like, 
You can already live stream on Twitter. No, we're relaunching Periscope. And we're, and we're relaunching Vine. You can already post videos to Twitter. Nope, it's going to be called Vine now. Again. Uh, anyways, here's someone we haven't checked in on in at least a few days. Kanye West. And it looks like if there wasn't already enough chaos, Kanye West's 2024 presidential bid is back on track. He's apparently still seriously considering a run, and he's found a new, old head of political operations for his team. One that was already on his team, but uh, played a little bit of uh, musical chairs with other uh, two other far-right figures. And that's Milo Yiannopoulos. He's back in. And Nick Fuentes and Ali, Ali Alexander, they're out. Uh, well, Ali Alexander is out for you know other pressing issues, like the fact that he's currently embroiled in an underage he's sex a scandal. He's uh, but with Milo taking back the reins of the Yay campaign, we are sure to see some of the dumbest fucking news possible coming very soon. Yeah, not looking forward to it. Mm -mm. Here's the Daily Beast with more on Ye's uh, renewed political ambitions and his ghoulish team of provocateurs. West's virulently anti-Semitic media tour last year generated headlines more for West's dinners with white supremacist leader Nick Fuentes and Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago and his effusive praise for Adolf Hitler than for any concrete political moves. Last month, a filmmaker hired by West said the rapper had lost interest in becoming any candidate for office, claiming that West said, I just want to be left alone. Yeah, that's uh, he should have stuck with that Yeah, and not done anything else. But then... The polls switched. Uh, now two sources close to West's political operation tell the Daily Beast that he's once again interested in politics and is bringing Yiannopoulos back into his orbit while pushing two other far-right leaders out. Yiannopoulos' return as West's director of political operations marks the latest twist in the treacherous internal politics of West's political shop. Ye is an artist of distinction, refinement, and taste, so naturally, for this next chapter of his political endeavors, he has ditched the Nutella and cracked out the caviar. Yiannopoulos told the Daily Beast in text message. Uh, in Wednesday night emails to Fuentes and Alexander that were reviewed by the Daily Beast, Yiannopoulos told his one-time friends that he was now back in charge of West's political operations. Fuentes and Alexander, in Yiannopoulos' telling, were fired. In exchange, Yiannopoulos offered them the prospect of unpaid advisor roles, but forbade them from acknowledging any connection to West publicly. Your services on Ye's exploratory team are terminated as of this letter and will not be required for any possible future campaign, Yiannopoulos wrote. In an email to Daily Beast, Alexander said Yiannopoulos was full of shit and declined to comment on whether he's still working for West. I don't discuss my friendship with Ye or others to the press, Alexander wrote. He is a genius and samples many views from many people. Fuentes and representatives for West didn't respond to requests for comment. But yeah, Alexander being like, um, actually me and Kanye are still friends. I don't like to discuss my yeah, friendships. we're good friends. I'm sure Kanye is... We have uh, a lot of similar interests. <laughs> what? I'm sure Kanye is like... Uh, if he were to make a statement, would immediately be like, uh, no, <laughs> please do not associate with me with him. Anyway, uh, uh, let's break from politics for a moment to call up our therapist, because we might actually enjoy the brawling in this next story. Uh, apparently, the singers of the rap rock band Crazy Town, Come My Lady, Come Come My Lady, You're My Butterfly, Sugar, Baby, <laughs> that Crazy Town, uh, the singers... Because they have two. They have two for some two reason. Two singers. Redundancy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just well, in case something happens the, to one of them. The music is so good that it necessitates dueling vocals. Two lead singers. Uh, those two lead singers of Crazy Town beat the shit out of each other because one of them showed up uh, to the gig late while the other had to make up for his absence, but also apparently botched the performance. Yeah, because he only knows half the lyrics, obviously. Yeah. So. In case you're unaware of this band with two singers, again, they were the... Uh, 
Butterfly song. It was come, my lady, come, uh, come. Kind of a diet, diet version of Linkin Park. Um, which, which is yeah, one yeah, of the few actually, good bands. What, yeah, has two singers. But yeah, the the funniest thing about Butterfly is that the only redeemable uh, part of the song is not even the work of Crazy Town. It's like a sample from a Red Hot Chili Peppers song from yeah. the eighties. Everything, else, yeah, that's always funny. I was like, yeah, like the sound is the sound design is really cool. I was like they didn't do that. It's just a sample. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So back to Crazy Town and their crazy feud. Mm-hmm. Here's TMZ with their very special brand of reporting. The Crazy Town boys are living up to their brand name. Two of the members got into a good old-fashioned fist fight after a show this weekend, and it was ugly. TMZ has obtained video of the throwdown that unfolded Sunday in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where CT was performing, only to have their lead singer, Shifty Shellshock, not show up to... <laughs> Shifty Shellshock... A grown man. It's Wacky Racers. <laughs> Shifty Shellshock not show up till the very end. Co-vocalist Bobby Reeves had to step in, making for a very rocky show. There's video circulating of Reeves attempting to handle frontman duties, at times forgetting lyrics to songs while publicly expressing his frustration with Shifty for bailing. Eventually, Shifty did show up, and another clip that's made the round shows him and Reeves in a heated argument by an SUV, with BR rocking a fresh black eye. Now we know how he got that shiner. They were trading haymakers after the Myrtle Beach gig. Uh, Everything about this is fucking pathetic. Even the gig, it's like they're playing... What looks like a free show. No one's even standing. It's like everyone's just like on blankets on the grass. Yeah, they uh, are not a popular band. No, they have they have one song. Yeah, it was you know some bands uh, you know they can still draw a crowd with the one or two songs. Smash Mouth, but that's all thanks to the memery. Uh, There are other bands that were you know quite big back then, and then dipped down for quite a long time, but are able to draw a crowd now based on nostalgic purposes. Uh, Crazy Town is none of those. No, I yeah. I'm I'm, per, I'm sure they themselves are shocked that they're still doing this shit. Well, that's why they're taking later. it so seriously. Oh, you're not yeah. going to show up for the one gig we have in my favorite town? Myrtle Beach. Which is literally crazy town? Yeah, it is crazy town. Uh-huh. Things get crazy. Yeah, well, uh, it apparently has a lot to do with substance abuse issues from the guy named Shifty, which... His name is Shifty well, Shellshock like or whatever. Shifty Shellshock, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I forget what the term is, but when your name dictates your life... Maybe that is one of those yeah. things. So yeah, it's funny, but it's 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 also kind of sad. And yeah. yeah, substance abuse issues, no laughing matter. No. Please seek help. But like on the bright side, I guess they both were like, yeah, you know, we had to fight it out, but like we're cool now. Yeah, maybe, you know, in this, this one is, scenario. This is how Crazy Town deals with our this shit. This is how we got the name Crazy Town. Yeah. Because we're both the mayor of Crazy Town. <laughs> That's right. Most towns, one mayor. Crazy Town has two mayors. And two singers. So we do everything double here. We have. Uh, they should really parlay this into a dueling pianos type live performance. I think people would be more interested in it. Maybe. A dinner and a show. Anyways, that's it for News Dump. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's more. One more story. <laughs> there's more news. <laughs> I wrote the script. How did I not know it was ending? Get back in here. Get back in here. You're not done until I say you're done. Hit the like button now before we do the last story. It's not over until it's over. All right, I'm waiting. Did you hit the like button? All right, now we'll do the last story. Finally today, would you believe that despite an economic climate that you would assume would be in turmoil, that companies continue to post record profits? Yes. Yeah, it, it should come as no surprise that specifically Live Nation, who has been the very justified target of consumer outrage recently, just posted another record-breaking financial quarter. (sighs) Here's Variety. 
Despite angry words from Taylor Swift, major issues with its Ticketmaster division, a Senate hearing, and incoming legislation, Live Nation posted another record-breaking quarter in Q1 of 2023, with a record $3.1 billion in revenue, up 73% from the same period last year, and a record 19.5 million fans attending its events as the global touring business returns to full strength. The company's concerts division already has sold almost 90 million tickets for shows this year already, more than 20% ahead of last year, and posted adjusted operating income of $320 million, a 53% increase. Ticketmaster led the company's sale of more than 73 million fee-bearing tickets, up 40%, delivering $7.7 billion in fee-bearing gross transaction volume, up 60%. And again, if you just look at the ecosystem that they've built for themselves, which despite what they say publicly actually endorses and fully supports scalping price premiums and bot activity, they make a profit every single time a ticket is sold. One ticket. If a ticket is sold and then resold and then resold again, that is pure profit money, for them. Money, money, money. If you sell a thousand tickets and dozens or hundreds of them are resold a couple of times, that's pure fucking profit that scales at the cost of the ticket it, because it's a percentage, not just a flat fee. It is absurd and exploitative. And it needs to be fucking regulated. At the very least, like, again, I don't want to make concessions with Ticketmaster, but the fee should be flat and not scalable. Or at least share the money with the band. <laughs> yeah, give the band more, get a bonus. Yeah. Hey, look, this, uh, a bunch of bots attacked this, and this ticket was sold a thousand times. Yeah. So here's, here's a little bonus. Nice. Uh, no, so yeah, scale all of that and take that math up to arenas, stadiums, and higher ticket prices where the percentages bring in fees into the hundreds of dollars each and every time a ticket changes hands. These motherfuckers need to be regulated. And they're even asking for it because they can't help themselves. Now the show's over. All right, for real this time. Except wait, just one... No, that's it. That's it. No, uh, you have more episodes for you to watch. Well, yeah. Of course. Yeah. If you want to know all the things that are happening with the writer's strike which, uh, based on some information they received today... Yeah. Oh, uh, what's that? No content for you on the late night? Well, look who's not a member of any union. Not for ideological reasons, just because I'd never be a member of a union that would have me. Ha! But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't allow us to come in. No, they wouldn't. Uh, no, but uh, no, they, they received uh, notice today that uh, they are not meeting any of their demands still. So it is going to continue for the foreseeable future. And uh, you can check in on, like, outlets like Deadline and Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood are... Reporter is uh, playing things uh, real fucking weird. They're just publishing shit. Is like, did a fucking movie studio write this? Yeah. Did the, a stock the, the SNL stuff where it's yeah. just like, you want to know why you can't see your yeah. favorites? Uh, Kieran Culkin? Variety is playing it like pretty straight down the middle. But yeah, Hollywood Reporter is coming out hard on the producer's side, which is uh, interesting. There was also reports of uh, people showing up with like fake paychecks. And also Breitbart running around in the crowd yeah, of people yeah. trying to do uh, gotcha interviews. But yeah, showing up with like entertainment partners, paychecks, where it's like... I guess that guy was on their side, but it was a joke that just didn't land. Uh, well, back to the writing that, room. Yeah, that guy was like actually a writer. That was, was trying to have fun with it. Out of the guild! But, uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, if you want uh, a basically a rundown of why the writers are on strike... Uh, that video is over there for you, including a video from earlier this week. Stay tuned. We'll have more Weekly Weird for you coming, or an episode of Weekly Weird coming up for you very soon. In the meantime, make sure you like the video. Make sure you leave a comment, and uh, we'll see you soon. Subscribe. Yes. Bye. Bye.